Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 294 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and useful resources and an awesome, supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? Um, well... The truth of the matter is, Valerie, okay. that I am currently packing. Okay. Because we are, and I, I feel we need to be honest about this, we are yes. uh, pre-recording this podcast yes. a little because um, I'm on my way to book week, um, which we discussed in depth Easy. last week, and uh, I have got, you know, my banner of glory <laughs> and I've got all my author talks and I've got my um, my USB and uh, and my authorial blazer or two and um, I'm heading off to, to book week. So I think that's... you need to explain to people why you have a USB. <laughs> because I've got all my all my PowerPoint presentations yeah, not everyone on my USB. <laughs> oh, I just thought that would be a <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Good point. All right. So I keep all my workshop presentations on a USB, a special, you know, very well looked after USB. Obviously I have backup upon backup upon backup, but this is the one that travels with me. So yeah. it's neatly packed in the folder Yeah. with everything else. Yeah. It requires an enormous amount of stuff, even when you don't, um, even when you don't have a huge number of props, like some some children's authors I know like uh, travel with so much gear, like they'll have a massive suitcase when you go to a when you meet them at a literary festival or something. Like I was at the Wit Sundays recently, and some of them got off the plane with like the biggest suitcases you've ever seen, like for three days. So I'm thinking, right. what in heaven's name have they brought with them? Like yeah. fifty outfits, but no, it turns out that in there they've got rocket launchers and they've got. Ah. Um, you know, full bags of dress-ups and they've yeah. got, you know, so depending on your level of, of uh, the age of the groups you're talking to and the kinds of stuff you're talking about, there can be some massive props. I know um, Oliver Pomavan travels with about 40 stuffed animals, so I don't wow. know how, you know, I don't know if he has to buy an extra seat for them or what, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so there's a lot of gear that can that can accompany you. You can't be a children's author and not be able to, like, lug stuff is all yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, when you'll be... Travelling with your USB. <laughs> I'll be travelling with my USB, my banner of glory, my books, my manuscript, my, yeah, like I do have a, like, yeah, put it this way, the wheels on my suitcase are very handy things because otherwise yes. I wouldn't be able to walk. But, yeah. Anyway, that's what I'm doing. What are you doing? So um, what am I doing? Okay, that's a very good question. I always feel I need to be prepared for this, but I have to say we are, I, yeah, you, you know, we are pre-recording this because um, otherwise you will be getting – Pretty bad sound quality as Alison goes from planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, yeah. And I actually tried doing that once. I thought it would be kind of cool to show people yeah. that I was on the road. No. And it was a disaster. Yeah. It was a complete disaster. I started recording stuff on the plane and then they started making announcements about turbulence <laughs> and it was such a waste of time. I had to redo the whole thing. It was done. Anyway, we want to give a big shout out to Duffy the Writer blog. Yep. So Duffy yep. or Duffy the Writer's blog. Yes. <laughs> and um, Duffy the Writer has kindly left us, well, kindly reviewed, So You Want to Be a Writer, our book. Yay. So in case you've missed it, Alison and I have written a book, So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. And Duffy the Writer has um, taken the time to read it and written up a review on their blog, which you'll find over at DuffyTheWriterBlog.com. Um, I won't read the whole thing because you can definitely go and uh, read it yourself. We'll put the link in the show notes. But she ends it with, if you, if you enjoy writing – and are looking to set up a hide <laughs> if you enjoy writing and are looking to set up a side hustle or publish that book which has been burning in you for years i wholeheartedly recommend so you want to be a writer to kickstart your dream and make it a reality 
Yeah, that's so great. Thank you so much yes, for taking the time to, to review it. Um, it's really, um, you know, we really appreciate it because reviews are, you know, they're like gold for any author. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter, you know, like, you know what, what platform you choose to put them on, but they are a huge thing. If you take the time to write a review, then, you know, we love you. Thank you very much. Definitely. And Duffy, the writer in real life is Joanne Duff. So thank you so much, Joanne. Now, let's move on to we ha- you have an interesting link for us, don't you, Al? I do have an interesting link for you. And it's one of those ones that I think uh, will resonate with a lot of authors, particularly those who are kind of starting out, um, mm. you know, creating their platform, or perhaps they have um, got a book coming and they really want to start to sort of, you know, get get everything lined up beforehand. Um, or maybe that they've already started an author newsletter and they're at the point where they're thinking, what do I do with this thing? Because a newsletter is a great way to, you know, to to build a list of people who are actively interested in you and your work and in finding out what you're doing and in finding out what's next for you. Um, you know, if somebody invites you into their inbox, it's a huge deal um, and it should be, you know, treated as such. Um, but this particular post was on The Book Designer, which is a great blog, practical advice to help build yeah. better books. And it is. Um, it was called 14 Content Ideas for Author Newsletters uh, by a writer called Nate Hoffider. And the thing that I thought was really good about it was that this is one of the big questions that get asked. Gets you know that I get asked a lot is what do I write about in this newsletter? And I have to admit, like having had my own newsletter now for. I don't know, how many years have I had my newsletter? Long time. Long time. I've had a newsletter for a long time. I send it out um, once a month um, and, you know, like as you go through and you you get into a rhythm with it, you start to learn the kinds of things that your um, that your your list is interested in hearing from you about. So, you know, it's not just, you know, all about me and my books, um, you know, or what I'm doing. It's also about, you know, links for writers and it's about information for readers and it's, you know, like so my you you, you start to work through what your own format for your own newsletter will be. Yeah. Um, but even so, sometimes I sit there and think, oh, what am I doing here? Like what am I going to write about this month sort of thing? Um, so this is just a, a like a kick-starting thing of things that you can put in a newsletter um, that will give you some some ideas of what to write about, what to actually, you know, to start to include. And you can get a sense from trying different things as to what your readership is actually interested in. Um, so he uh, suggests that you can use, you know, blog post excerpts if you've actually written a blog post that your uh, newsletter subscribers might want to read. You can put in memes and jokes if you kind of like if you've particularly I think if you've got an illustration side to your work as well it's quite Mm. fun to you know create your own little series that you could you know put one a month or something in um you can have you know obviously invites to things that you're going to I think it's always really nice to share news about other authors who might be in your network as well particularly if it's relevant if it's something that might be relevant to your readership um they have uh, details about background research if you're working on something and you come across something amazing um you know, it may be that your readership is interested in that. Um, And then, of course, you can do things like giveaways. Giveaways are always very, very popular. I can uh, vouch for that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Excerpts and bonus chapters. So if you're working, if you've got something new coming out, you might want to write a short story that's based around, you know, one of the characters in the new book Mm -hmm. as a a kind of bonus. Um, So, you know, there's a whole bunch of different uh, ideas in this but I thought it might be be very relevant to a lot of the people who listen to our podcast who might be looking for you know maybe facing the same question that I occasionally face of what am I going to write about (laughs) yeah definitely I think it's a really good list and some of the things that I as a reader so you know obviously I subscribe to a lot of newsletters yeah you do yeah Yeah. so what are the sorts of things you like to see well from this list apart from obviously news about what's happening with that particular author I am always very interested in what they're reading yeah. You know, so just just their current reading list. You don't even have to write a review of what they're reading. You yeah, know, or, or yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have to be this whole blog post. You, you can just write one sentence, I'm yeah. enjoying this or, you know, yeah. this isn't as engaging as I hope or whatever. Yeah. Just um, what, what you're reading. And um, I always, always read. Um, uh, obviously I'm interested in the events that they are speaking at, but I'm yeah. equally interested in the events that they are just going to. Yeah. 
just as a person, as an attendee. Yeah, why have they chosen to go exactly, to that? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is um, I'm also always interested in the, the articles or links or resources that they have found interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And you don't have to just put them in there for the sake of it. If you genuinely found it interesting, then I want to know about it, you know. Yeah, And again, true. you don't have to write this big long essay as to why you found it interesting. You can just put the link in there with one sentence even. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I found this interesting because and like just, you know, or, or I the takeaway I got from this is whatever. It's just literally a sentence. So, yeah, it's just it 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 helps your reader get to know you better without you saying, as some authors do in their newsletters and social media, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. They mm. form a real connection with you because they mm. get a little bit of an insight into into you, into what you're interested in, without necessarily getting into your personal life. So that's mm. why I love those things. Yeah. Mm. It's mm. a good post. Um, and we'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes over at so you want to be a writer.com.au. All right. So I wanted to highlight to everyone a new course that we've got that is Ooh. just oh my goodness we're getting so many inquiries for it um especially as soon as this went online we started getting heaps and heaps and heaps of um, inquiries for people wanting to bring their own groups interestingly so it's um it's called UX UI copywriting which is user experience and user interface because of course in this day and age there is so much that we do online. And while there's a lot of courses in user experience and user interface design, there's hardly any courses at all on user experience and user interface writing. And that's what this course is about. And we have literally one of the best UX UI writers um, in Australia teaching this course, Carly Ratcliffe. She is the UX, the lead on UX UI writing for Qantas, she consults to um, Adobe, she consults mm. to SBS, um, the website. Wow. Um, yeah, she is, uh, she's done incredible amount of research into this area she's, and, and has um, created this course because, yeah, it is such a big demand for it. So if you want to find out more, go to writercenter.com.au slash UXUI to find out more about it. Let's move on to our competition this week. This is really exciting because I love Sarah. We both love Sarah, I know. So we have three copies of Where the Dead Go by international and best-selling and award-winning author Sarah Bailey, who also is an a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre, and we've interviewed her before in episodes 215 and 252. So four years after the events of Into the Night, which was the last book we spoke um, to Sarah about, uh, Gemma Woodstock is on the trail of a missing girl in a small coastal town. Gemma searches for answers while navigating her son's grief and trying to overcome the hostility of her new colleagues. As the mystery deepens and old tensions and secrets come to light, Gemma is increasingly haunted by a similar missing persons case she worked on not long before, a case that ended in tragedy and made her question her instincts as a cop. Can she trust herself again? Mm. So where the dead go? Uh, you can win one of three copies. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win for your chance to win. Entries close on the 26th of August. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm very, very ready. That's good because Sarah, not Sarah Bailey, but Sarah from our office suggested this word, panoptic. Do you know what that means? Uh, I know. I, 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 it's a familiar word without yes. me necessarily being able to give you a definition. Do you know what I mean? You okay. know how that? Yeah. Hmm. If it was in context, I probably would know what it meant. Yes, you probably would actually. Yeah. So panoptic, if you think about this logically, you can see the word panorama and optical, right? Mm. So panoptic means showing or seeing the whole at one view. So this is particularly illustrated by panopticons. That's a word, panopticons, mm. which were, interestingly, prisons where you could see what all the inmates were doing all the time. And that ended mm. up regulating their behaviour. 
There you go. Mm. There you go. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> you say that with such sincerity. Oh, no, I, I yep, absolutely mean every, every syllable. Sure you do. All right. <laughs> Tell us who the, our writer in residence this week is. Oh, this is very fun. So this week we have the wonderful Mick Elliott is our writer in residence, our author in residence mm. for, um, you know, like it's book week, we we, we got to go down the kid road, right? Yes. Um, so Mick um, is the author of now two series for kids. Um, his first one was called The Turners and it was uh, hugely successful. And now he has a new one, which is called Squidge Dibley, which he not only wrote, but also illustrated himself for the first time. Um, so we had a fantastic talk about, you know, how he sort of had a few thoughts while he was doing that as maybe he'd bitten off more than he could <laughs> do um, at a couple of stages. But he's also got a great background in uh, television producing. So we just talked about that and how it informs his writing as well. Mick Elliott is the author of the popular middle grade trilogy, The Turners, and a former producer at Nickelodeon Australia, working on programs such as Slimefest, Camp Orange, the Kids' Choice Awards, and squillions of commercials. His latest novel is Squitch, Squidge Dibley Destroys the School, the first book in a new illustrated series, which is out now with Lothian Children's Books. Welcome to the program, Mick. Thank you so much for having me, Al. All right. So you've been working in television for a long time. Talk to me about how your first book came to be published. Uh, yes, well, I was um, working at Nickelodeon in their creative team as a producer um, for almost 20 years, and um, I, what I really hoped was that I could take some of the learnings from working in TV, not, not just in terms of storytelling, but also just in terms of the discipline of, of hitting a deadline as well. And so I was hoping that I could take those two elements and turn it into a book series, um, because obviously TV is a very, very collaborative medium. You're always uh, juggling lots of stakeholders, both creatively and also in terms of just the, uh, the logistics of putting a show together. Um, and I've always liked to have projects on the side. And um, I thought if I, can, if I can take that discipline of TV um, and turn it into a series that resonates with kids in the same way that the sort of content that I used to work on at Nickelodeon resonated with kids, um, hopefully I'll, I'll actually be onto something. Um, what I learned was it's a lot harder <laughs> than you would think <laughs> in the first instance. Um, and obviously also working full time in, in what was a very, very demanding job and also being a parent um, as well, didn't actually leave a lot of time um, you know, to do the writing part of it. So what I thought might take me 12 months, I ended up pretty much taking four years from, from the point at which I put literally put pen to paper. I wrote the first draft in longhand uh, to the point where it actually came out as a published um, first book in the Turner series um, took four years. Wow. Okay, so I've got two questions out of this. Um, how did you come to be a producer in TV? Like, did you start out as a writer is part one. Um, and part two of the of it is, had you always wanted to write a book? Like, you know, you said that you were hoping that you would use the experience from TV to create this book, but why did you want to write a book? Well, growing up, I'd, I'd always wanted to work in film, but not knowing exactly what that would be. My only point of reference was movie directors and Steven Spielberg and Alfred Hitchcock, but you know, this is back in the 80s and 90s, and I didn't really have a sense of what a career in film or TV might look like. Um, and so I actually did a whole bunch of different jobs after finishing a, um, a creative arts degree, or an arts degree, I should say, at, at university. Um, I worked in marketing for a big cinema chain for many years, but I always had little projects on the side, short films and animations and so on. Um, and I was actually just very, very lucky that uh, one day, back when jobs were advertised in the news paper, heaven forbid, uh, that I saw, well actually my wife saw a job as a promo producer at Nickelodeon. Um, I didn't actually really know what a promo producer was. I eventually found out it's the person who makes those ads that tell us what time uh, shows are on and what they're about. Um, but I applied for it and I was very, very lucky that, um, that the, the creative director at the time um, took a chance on me because I didn't have any TV experience. Um, and so, yeah, so through, through, through that experience of working in TV, what I, what I found at Nickelodeon, because outside of the TV industry, you think it's all very glamorous, and but it's actually, uh, you had to work very hard and you actually had to do a whole lot of jobs. So um, it wasn't just producing, it wasn't just editing, it wasn't just directing, but it was also writing as well. Um, so my, really my first start was as a promo producer, which um, you know, requires a very 
very sort of message-driven, very crisp, very tight style of, of script writing. Um, and it's a great discipline, a great starting point. And from there it evolved into actually doing uh, more dialogue-based scripts, writing short animations. I was lucky enough to work on a series that was a collaboration with the Sesame Workshop and really, really learn about crafting dialogue, crafting stories and, and story structure uh, for TV. Um, so, but after doing that for many, many years, I, I you know, really just had this sort of had this itch to go, well, you know, I, I, looking back, I probably wish that I had read more as a kid um, and wanted to write the book series that I would have loved to read when I was a 10-year-old. And that, that was one of the things that at Nickelodeon was we were always were thinking about the audience. We were always thinking about what, what would a kid react to and thinking audience first. And so I really set out with the Turners um, to, to write the book series that I would have loved to read and to fill it with the things that I would have loved to read about and the sort of pace and the sort of jokes and, and the sort of gross humour and some, also some really grotesque kind of slightly horror elements in there as well um, that I would have loved to read as a kid. And you never sort of thought to yourself, I mean, because it's, it's, it's quite a visual idea and it's quite a visual, you know, the, the pace of it and everything did remind me of television. You know, did you ever think of it as maybe this is actually a TV series or you always wanted it to be a book? Um, I, I certainly started as a book, but um, tried, as I said, tried to bring that same discipline of, um, of TV storytelling into it. Um, you know, I think most writers hope that there might be a TV series develop out of it, but um, but I, I really did want to start with it as a book first. Um, you know, in, in, in part because I thought it was a story that could be told on, on, on the page. And obviously on, on the page you can actually explore characters' inner thoughts much more mm. uh, than you can on, on TV. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I, was, I just really loved the idea of it being, you know, a, a book that kids who loved the sort of shows that, that I was working with would actually better enjoy, you know, but not on a screen, actually, you know, on, mm, on, on, yeah. on the post, because that, that's something I'm very, very passionate about. I'm also a, an ambassador for the Australian Reading Hour, and I really, really feel very strongly about particularly getting boys to read as well. So that's where I really put my focus with, uh, with both the Turners and with my new series, Switch Dibley. Okay. And so did you always see the Turners as, as a trilogy? Like when you were writing the story, was it always something that you thought, oh, this is definitely more than one book? Or was it kind of, did it start as one and then branch out into three? Um, well, I, I always hoped that it would be more. And um, so I didn't I didn't have a story arc that would go from the first to the third book, but I had a sense of a premise that would cap be able to carry for more than just one book um, and so when I was, I was shopping around and that process took a long time I mean I say shopping around to people wanting to buy it but more you know trying to get somebody to, uh, to notice that I, <laughs> I'd written this book um, I did certainly position it as being a trilogy um, and I was you know, obviously very very lucky that eventually after a lot of knockbacks um, that my agent Fiona Inglis at, Kurt, at Curtis Brown um, uh, had kids that were the age of the audience and um, I positioned it to her as a trilogy and, and she said fantastic and um, you know but what I found was even though I had a full completed manuscript I, I thought I would have to write the other two manuscripts for the second and third books but um, but I, I found that actually I was able just to do a fairly short sort of half page summary of what I first saw the subsequent books would be about um, and we were able to um, get interest from Hachette there and, um, and you know, once we had the deal then, then I had to actually follow through and, and write those second and third books uh, which ended up being quite different from the actual um, you know, summary or the synopsis that I'd put forward initially. Always. I always find that too. Like you put the series together and you put it in and then by the time the actual books come out, the whole story is totally different. But I think they just want to see that you've thought about it and that you've got some idea so. of what could happen. <laughs> I think so. I mean, what, what, what was your experience with the Mapmaker Chronicles? I mean, had you plotted out the whole journey of the characters through subsequent books? No, I had a, um, with the My Kind of Story, I had to have a narrative arc that would go over the three books. Um, so I knew where it was going to end. Um, and I was going towards that the whole time, but the things that happened in the middle um, changed a lot. There was a lot right. of difference, yeah, that went on there. Um, now, you said on your website, which is clearly aimed at your readership, that the – which I really liked. It's a quite virulent green at the moment. The um, hardest part about writing a book is the rewriting. Was this the aspect of writing that was the most surprising thing to you when it came to that longer form? 
I, I think so. I think so. Um, and, and a lot of it is actually just sustaining the energy. <laughs> mm. I find it's, it's it's not it's not so much the prospect of having to change things. That that's fine. And again, that that was one of the things um, that I, I learned very early through TV producing is you can't be precious. You can't be precious that it's you know it's your beautiful content, it's your beautiful story, and you're, so you you have to just accept that when you're getting editorial feedback that the publisher is wanting to make the book as as accessible and as good as it can be. So that, the, the concept of changing things, that wasn't a concern. It was more just literally going, okay, I just feel like I've just climbed a mountain, I've gotten there, and I've got these drafts done, and uh-oh, now the clouds are parted, there's another mountain in front of me, which is the rewrites, and then you do the next round of rewrites, and you're I'm done, I'm at the top of the mountain, and uh-oh, the clouds are parted again, and there's another mountain. Again. <laughs> oh. So it's, it's actually more just about energy, which you know, I've found as I've gotten, um, you know, I'm, I'm more than two decades into my 20s now, and <laughs> the energy just, just isn't, you know, being a parent and everything, the energy just isn't there like it once was. No, it's true, isn't it? Sometimes you've really got to gear yourself up to get up that mountain, don't you? Yes. Um, yes. So what does the writing process look like for you? So you've got you've got your two series now, you've got The Turners, you've got Squidge Dibley. Are these, are these they're quite character-driven, and mm. as you said, you sort of like, you kind of started out thinking in dialogue and things like that, but are they... Um, do you just kind of have a random idea and just start writing or is it a, something that you craft in advance before you start? Uh, I've sort of changed as I've gone on. People talk about the, um, what is it, the plotters or pantsers yeah, approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've talked about it on, on the podcast. Um, so with the Turners, I, I definitely was flying by the seat of my pants. All that I had at the start of that book, and, and for anyone that hasn't read it, it's a series about a 13-year-old boy who discovers by accident that he's a shapeshifter um, and has to deal with everything that, that that brings with it. All I actually had at the start of that series was the, that, that concept and the opening scene, opening scene of the main character, Leo. He's in the library at school. It's his 13th birthday. Without warning, he transforms into a Komodo dragon and starts trying to eat his classmates. That's all, that's, that's all I had. I that's didn't an have awkward situation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you know, that, that ended up being you know, the heart of the book was just how this, this boy, how this teenage boy deals with that change and deals with having to keep this, this big secret. Um, but that's all I had. I didn't really know the world. I didn't know who the other characters were going to be. I didn't know what the central arc of the plot not even for the first, yet alone the subsequent books was going to be. Um, as I've gone on, though, and as, as I've, I guess, learned a little bit more about the process and become a little bit more disciplined, when it came to Squidge Dibley and I'd um, come up with the idea of this, this boy, this stretchy, funny boy who, who turns up at this very, very strict school and accidentally causes chaos, um, I, I did see that it was going to be necessary to be much more disciplined with my plotting. So, um, oh, are you hearing that beeping, by the way? No. Uh, no. no. Sorry, it's my other line. Um, yes, so sorry, someone's calling my other line. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I did see the need to actually have to plot things out a bit. So, I actually you know, did, did a, a rough um, chapter by chapter summary of what I, I figured would happen and then tried to follow it as much as possible, but giving myself the grace to deviate from it when other ideas came along. Okay, so I'm going to get to Squidge Dibley because we, we have quite a lot to talk about with him. Um, but I just want to talk to you a little bit about the the, um, the process of writing because you there's a lot of craziness, there's a lot of humour, there's a lot of hijinks, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know. How much of that is organic and how much of that is, oh, I haven't had a joke for three pages, I need to put something in? Um, I, I definitely say it's organic. It's, it's, it's not... I don't sort of have that sort of clinical approach. I mean, I, I have a general sense of where a chapter is going to go, but what, what I find is it actually just generally comes out. And, makes it, and it all seems quite normal, quite natural to me, the sort of things that happen in the books. But I, so I'm always a, a bit taken aback, but also delighted when I have parents particularly come up and say, oh, my son loved the Turners. It's just so bizarre. Everything <laughs> in it is just so weird. And um, oh. He's like, lady, you're talking normal, about my brain there. Normal. <laughs> normal. That's just my normal. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I do find all that, that does come quite naturally. And, um, but, but I also just try to, if I'm sort of making myself laugh as I go and um, having a bit of a chuckle, um, you know, I, I, it feels right. I'm, I'm very much, I, I lead by a sort of a general sense of how, how it feels to, uh, how I think it's going to feel to read these scenes or read the chapters that I'm writing. Like, okay, if I'm, if I'm chuckling, if it seems like I'm pushing things, that's good. And I know that my, my publisher will say, okay, you've gone too far there, um, which hasn't happened much, I have to say. <laughs> All right, so with the Turners, you were the author, but with Squidge Dibley, you are author and illustrator. Now, yes. why why <laughs> did you decide to write an illustrated novel? I, I'm, 
I read a lot with my son. My wife and I have always read to our kids every night. My son is, is now eight. Um, and also what I saw through the travels with the Turners, and you're always, you know, you're always looking at other books that are out there. I, I just saw that there's, there's such a very, very fertile genre out there right now, um, you know, which probably had its origins right back with, with Roald Dahl and so on, the wonderful Quentin Blake drawings, but there's, there's such such a powerful, dynamic genre that we're seeing through um, books like the Treehouse series, obviously, mm. um, through Arne Doe's wonderful uh, Weirdo series, to do Bad Guys, and, you know, Aaron Blady's amazing work, Tom Gates, Captain Underpants, uh, you know, and, and so on. I just saw that, I, I saw that there's, there's, there's so much in those series, and I can really see how boys react particularly to those series and um, essentially I wanted to give it a go. I thought okay let's, let's go a little bit younger than the Turners um, and let's actually try a, a new form, for me, a new form of storytelling that actually involves really heavily integrating imagery with text. I mean there's, there's pretty much at least one to two, sometimes three uh, line drawings or doodles on every page of Squidge Dibley um, and it's a different type of storytelling and, and again having come from TV producing and working in the visual medium it, it was actually a bit closer to home for me being able to go okay I can I don't have to do a page of descriptive text here I can just tell it all in one illustration uh, the challenge really came from basically <laughs> being able to deliver that <laughs> what I could see in my head on, on the screen. Well, well that was my next question is how much experience have you actually had with illustration like what made you think I can illustrate a novel yeah um well I've got no experience <laughs> <laughs> so blind luck then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I think um, I think uh, there's some delusion in there, certainly. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, I still, I, I, even as a, as a writer, but definitely as an illustrator, I, f- I feel like such a, a, an imposter, such an interloper. But um, but I have, while I haven't ever had um, professional illustration training, I've always been a doodler from a very very young age, right through school, right through high school, was always doodling little characters and um, funny little drawings and doing caricatures of my teachers. And, and then even when I started to work in the corporate world, I'd get into so much trouble from you know, this kind of serious business people that were <laughs> my bosses for doodling during during important corporate meetings and drawing little things in the margins of my <laughs> of my work notebook. Um, so I've always enjoyed that. And, but but what, I, what I went to my agent with was not a proposal to try to draw like any of the amazing illustrators out there like Aaron Blavey or... Terry Denton and so on, but actually to draw in a style that I knew that I could deliver on, mm. um, and, and, and that then um, that then created the aesthetic, which is generally characters facing frontwards. I'm not I'm not great at drawing characters at, at an angle, although I've learnt over the you know last 400 drawings I've since had to do. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, the other thing is that there's, there's just so many great, so many great references out there. I found that I can draw. If someone asked me, can you just draw me a picture, say, of a tiger right now? It would be terrible, but if I can go into Google Images and have a hundred pictures of tigers in front of me, well, then I can actually just I can draw from the eye quite mm. well. Not always first time, but I can I can get there with a couple of a couple of goes. But um, so yeah, so it was about finding an aesthetic um, that worked for me. But also, I think um, you know it, it doesn't have to be perfect. I didn't actually want to create an aesthetic style that was like every single image looking perfect. I actually wanted it to be quite wonky and for, you know, fingers to be the wrong size or arms to be different lengths or characters' heads to be a bit lopsided. And that, that's, that's actually what I wanted. I wanted that so that it would actually appeal um, you know, to the audience I was going for. And also, though, so it wouldn't feel um, too computer-generated or too clinical. I really wanted it to have an organic feel. So even though I've drawn it using digital methods and using an Apple pen, I still wanted it to feel very much like someone had just sketched it, and, mm. um, you know, that, that it felt quite handmade. So what do you think was the biggest learning curve for you with regards to balancing that writing and illustrating process? Um, the first thing is that illustration takes a hell of a lot longer than you think it would if you've never done it before. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, thank goodness I, by, by that point I, I was sort of working, I'd, I'd left Nickelodeon and was working um, just full time on, on the book. Um, I mean, I, I thought it might take me six weeks to do the illustrations. Um, it, it took, and this is full time, it took the best part of three and a half, four months to mm. get them all done. I've yeah. got it faster. Um, so, but, but, so there's just literally the time involved. But the, the other part of it is that it actually it completely changes changes the way you think about 
um, how to structure your your prose because you know you no longer need your prose to do as much heavy lifting as you might. And you can you can decide as you go and, and you know write the manuscript first and actually leave spaces for where the illustrations will go. Um, and so that meant that yeah, there were certainly times where I didn't actually have to do a, a paragraph of descriptive text. I could say introduce a character, literally just put an, an image of them and have you know, a, a couple of little arrows pointing to them to point out particular features of them rather than having to do you know, a full, full descriptive piece about them. Mm, okay, so kind of leaving room in, room in your text for, yes. for the illustrations to work. That's right, that's right. Um, so like with serious fiction of any kind, as we know, you you end up with some pretty solid solid deadlines. Like you're gonna mm. like you might have a little bit longer to do your first one because you you haven't really sort of like locked it in. Like you generally mm. go with your full manuscript written or whatever. Yes. Um, but once you've done that, and particularly when your books are coming out every six months, as I believe these yes, are, that's right. Yep. You are up against some really hard deadlines. Now, have you found that writing and illustration process? You know, has that been more stressful with that with that sort of six month deadline to deal with? Um, it, it, it's look. I mean, there's something like a deadline to get you cracking. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> That's and true. it's amazing. I mean, I mean, certainly, um, you know, writing. I write generally at home, um, and it's amazing how trivial things in life, like doing the washing and checking the mail, can distract you <laughs> when when you've got to get down to it. But uh, but yeah, look, it, it is a little bit of pressure, but it's a lovely sort of pressure. You know, I mean, I, I really, um, I, I just feel very very lucky to be able to. Um, be having a go at this, and I've, you know, I've worked in some very, very stressful corporate jobs where you wake up every morning and just, you know, hate everything you're doing, and, and having to associate with, you know, corporate lunatics all day long. So <laughs> the, the, the sort of the sort of stress that comes from having a, a looming deadline um, is actually it's a it's a really lovely sort of stress to have. So how, how how very lucky am I to be to be doing this and to have the you know the space in my life and the opportunity to be doing this? So, so no, true. I don't. Uh, yeah, that's very yeah, sane of you, Mick. I like it. Well, you know, I'm getting on, and uh, you chill out a bit as you get older. <laughs> 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 okay, so let's just talk a little bit about Squidge Dibley. Mm. Where did that character come from? You know, because he's not the narrator, but he does drive mm. a lot of the story. Um, and did you know straight away what he looks like? I, I didn't know, and and um, so I'm trying to think where to begin. So the the, or, the origin of, of the concept actually came one one morning. My my wife and I were. Uh, my wife Karen and I were having a, a lovely weekend away, and we we're just sitting at, at breakfast, and I was thinking about different ideas. And, and we literally just over, you know, over our morning coffee, uh, we're chatting about the idea of, of an outsider, uh, 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 this unlikely uh, hero who comes into a story, but actually doesn't mean to be the hero. Uh, <laughs> and 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 also we're thinking about what what would work in in an illustrated book, uh, you know, a book that. that that uses all the sort of same techniques as the Treehouse series and, and Wimpy Kid and so on. Um, and so it was really trying to think of a really visual character, a character who would change shape and expand and balloon up into different shapes and um, burp really loudly if someone shouted at him and that sort of thing. Um, and so we, we sort of got the idea. But funnily, the, the name itself was, was actually partly from a name of a manuscript I'd written years ago called Squid Dibley that never sort of went anywhere, um, which I'd left in the bottom drawer. And so when, um, when I came up with this idea, you, this stretchy boy who um, comes and causes chaos at this very strict school. I was like, maybe squidge, or squidge actually sounds like squish. Mm. Um, and I just love the, the sort of the, the rhyming of squidge and dibley. Um, yeah, so that, that was sort of the starting point. Um, I can't remember the other part of the question. <laughs> Did you know what he looked like? Because he's, oh, yes. he's a very graphic, um, you know, yes. and he's, he's on the cover and he's quite a, you know, I mean, I've seen him, he's now in your, you know, Facebook and in your all those sorts of things. He's a very um, immediately recognisable character once you know who he is. Yeah. So yeah, did you know what he looked like straight away? Uh, well, no, I didn't. And, and in fact, um, I, if, you, if you were to go back through my like my last uh, six months of um, of notebooks from uh, from when I was still working full time, um, you know, sitting in in my numbing um, you know planning meetings and things, um, I was actually doodling him, uh, you know. Um, and behind my hand <laughs> in, in my notebooks. And, uh, and there are some very, very early versions of him where he's got round glasses and he's sort of taller or shorter or wider. Um, but, but eventually I sort of arrived at, at, at something which I, I wanted to say it seemed 
um, fa- fairly simple in terms of his design, um, but also very, very expressive. So, um, and the starting point is actually his glasses. He's got these two these big square glasses that he wears, which really dominate his face. Um, and then, you know, tried about ten, I knew he'd had this sort of very crazy hair. His hair is actually inspired by the Sydney Opera House, is, is, is the design reference. He's got these sort of points on his hair uh, that go out at all sort of angles, like the shells of the Opera House. Um, and, and then, because I knew he was going to be stretched and changing shape. So if he's wearing like a lined T-shirt, that those lines will actually give me a sort of a, a concertina effect when he changes mm. shape, gets bigger or smaller. And so those lines can actually um, show the reader how big or small he's getting by by how many of the lines there are. They magically just increase in number the lines of his shirt when he uh, when he stretches to a bigger size. Um, <laughs> it, it, it took a little while, but um, but yeah, I just wanted to have a really simple sort of form and. Um, yeah, it's funny. Actually, years ago, I heard someone who'd worked on the on the design of The Simpsons um, talking about how they didn't, you know, with that sort of animation, with things like The Simpsons and Family Guy and so on, they actually deliberately try to not make it look too refined, so that they can use that sort of more jokey form, and adults will look at it and say, "Oh, well, that's, that doesn't look like really refined animation," and um, you can sort of do do more in terms of jokes and storytelling by having the character design quite simple. Um, and if anyone would like to have a look at Squidge, you can go to mickelliot.me because by the time you listen to this, that website will have Squidge Dibley all it over it. Am I right? <laughs> yes, and thank you for the prompt. I'll take my website. Or uh, you can also look at my, my Instagram, which is at whatmixor. Um, oh, of course. Plenty of pictures of Squidge in there. And in saying that, um, your Instagram account has always been highly amusing to me because you have one of the most on-brand people. If you're looking at how authors can use Instagram, go to What Mixor, because you have one of the most on-brand Instagram accounts I've ever seen. It's so organised. I think it's fantastic. So um, obviously I haven't seen it for a while because I haven't seen Squidge, so I'm going to go and have a look today. Anyway, let us yeah. let us switch gears slightly. So while you were writing the Turners, you, as you were, as you said, full-time in a pretty big job, um, you know, parent, family, all those things. How did you fit the writing in? It, it was t- challenging at times and certainly um, when it came to the second and third book where I did have much, much tighter deadlines. But it just required real discipline, like real discipline. So I would, um, I would write on the train on the way to work uh, at lunchtime when other people were going out and you know, having cafe lunches and stuff, I would just sit, you know, usually in whatever boardroom I could find and type away. I'd type on the train on the way home again, um, get home, you know, do dinners, do kids' lunches for the next day with my wife, do um, all the kind of putting kids to bed and shower and all that sort of thing. And then usually at about 9.15 at night, um, instead of doing what I would have loved to do, like going to Netflix or just chill and watch a movie, I would just sit and um, write until about 10.30 or 11 at night. Um, and it, so just with discipline and there's that thing of just turning up, just going, okay, I've just got to do this. So much as I would love to just chill out, um, you just have to keep on going with it. But it, it did, it, it, at times it took its toll, but more, more so when, you know, if, if work was a bit stressful um, and, you know, you actually needed downtime to, to decompress from that, that was probably when it was hardest. But mm. but again, you know, it, it, it's, it's a nice type of stress, you know, and I did have to keep reminding myself that it's like, you know, this, this is actually a real privilege and a little, lovely opportunity to have to know that these books are going to come out. So... Mm. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of what kept me going, really. And now you um, you are technically a full time writer, um, but you also I know you do a lot of author talks and things like that, um, and yes. you're also still freelancing as a producer. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. So oh. um, yes, yeah, so really, you know, it's this last year since I, I finished up being full time at Nickelodeon, I'm actually just finding that balance. So. Mm. Um, while I sort of semi-refer to myself as a full-time author, I'm, I'm actually still um, definitely keeping a finger in the pie with um, doing some freelance producing and really just trying to find, find my way with it. And uh, yep. I'm very, very lucky. I've got a very supportive partner who's fantastic um, and is just working very, very hard to do all the school appearances and um, festival appearances and just to keep the keep the deadlines uh, strict with my writing. <laughs> All right. So yeah. I've been lucky enough to see your um, one of your author talks. And frankly, you generally walk out of them bruised because there's a <laughs> pratfall and, a, you know, there's a lot of um, performance aspect to mm. what you do with your talks. Is that important to you? And do you think that your TV experience helps with engaging kids in that way? 
It, it definitely does. And it's, it's one of the parts of the role that I love the most. And, and funnily, when, when I first met the, the team from Hachette, who were just lovely, that was one of the first questions they, they asked me they said, you know, as an author, are you comfortable speaking in front of crowds? Um, and even though, you know, in, in general day-to-day life, I'm fairly reserved and quite sort of introverted, um, I was the youngest child youngest of three boys and you know the youngest child always has to like fight to get hurt <laughs> so the, the idea of being in front of a crowd of two or three hundred people who have to listen to you <laughs> with a mic in your hand it's like okay people <laughs> um but, but but i also believe you know with, within those 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 um you know school or festival talk formats you have to entertain you have to engage um and so I, and, and i guess also i'm probably a bit of a thoughted actor as well i um i never really was likely to be a professional Actor, but I was very into theatre at school and, and university as well. And so, wow, you know, the opportunity to get up on a stage in front of a big group of people who are a willing audience and very willing to come on board with you, um, it's, it's just a joy. And so I, I feel it's my, my duty to really reward them, uh, to really give them a really great show, which, which then will hopefully encourage them to go to the bookshop and, and, and buy the books based on the experience that we've had together as, a, as an audience. Well, given the stretchy bendiness of Squidge Dibley, I'm looking forward to seeing your <laughs> seeing your Squidge Dibley author talks. I think that will be fascinating. Have you got a striped <laughs> shirt ready to go? I, I do need to get one, actually. You I really do? do need to get myself one. Can't possibly not do, do it without one. All right. What other kinds of things do you do to promote your work? Like you have your Instagram. Is that your major social um, media kind of platform? Yes, it is. I mean, I um, I, I did sort of tinker with uh, with Twitter for a little while, but I just didn't like it, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I, and I really wanted um, you know, I've, I've got a Facebook page, but it's kind of my personal one, which kind of has accidentally bled a little bit into being a little bit promotional. But um, I ultimately use my website. Um, I, Instagram is is the main one that I use. Um, and then then beyond that, um, yeah, it's obviously doing as many school talks as I can. Yeah. Um, you know, with with Squidge Dibley coming out uh, or out now. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been doing a bit of media and that, that all really, really helps as well, just working with Hachette and their publicity team to get the word out there. Um, but I've also done things like, just, you know, around Christmas time, cold called bookshops and said, hey, can I come and do an appearance at your bookshop on Saturday and I'll bring all my stuff and all you need to do is put a table out the front and I'll be there. Um, so that, that, that sort of real grassroots stuff is, is really important and even just, just sort of turning up to bookshops as well and, um, you know, signing some copies and taking a photo is all good. Mm. I hope you can hear my puppy in the background there. I can, yes. Trying to, trying to communicate with yours. <laughs> <laughs> we love we love hearing dogs on our on or cats or whatever. We always have a random furry animal kind of vibe in the background. All right, um, just because your your puppy seems to require your attention, let's um let's just move on to our last question, which of course is our three top tips for writers. Mm. What do you have for us, Mick Elliott? Well, I'd say the first thing is. When, when you start your manuscript, know who you are writing for. Mm. So know, know who it's for. So when I started The Turners, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a, a book for 8 to 12-year-olds. So the first thing I did was I, I went and read every book I could that was for that audience. And that gives you a sense of not only the, the type of uh, type of language you should be using, but also some of the conventions within the genre. And, and it just meant also then once I'd finished the manuscript, I was able to go to agents and publishers and go, this is a book for 8 to 12-year-olds. It's skewed towards boys. It's mm. like these other books that are in the market. Um, and that's really, really important. And you, mm. you have to remember that if you're trying to get published, it's that you've got to think of your book as being like, to the publisher, like a product. Mm. And yes, it's got all your heart in it. It's got your beautiful storytelling in it. But it's, you've got to think of it from the publisher's point of view. They, they're viewing this is a product so know who it's for if you go and going oh it's kind of for all ages and it's sort of for boys and girls and grandmothers the publisher will go well, you, you don't know what you're offering us and know, know who you're writing for <laughs> right. that, that would be the first thing i would say um second one is definitely don't try to make it perfect from the start um i, I had a, a, a very experienced writer described their first draft as being draft zero. I think that's such a great reference. Mm. Don't try to get it perfect. Just get the words on the page. Just get them down. Then start working with it because it's so much better to have something on the page and then rework it than to be trying to polish it as you go. You're wasting a lot of time and you won't actually get there. Um, 
And then um, the, the other thing I was, I was going to say, lock away your smartphone, which I think is, a, is an important one for all of us <laughs> I like generally. It. But, but I, I would actually just say, be kind to yourself as well, because it, it, it's a it's a real roller coaster of a journey writing a, a, a book, and uh, you know it's easy to get to a very dark place with it. If it's, you know, if you're not getting a publishing deal, or if it's taking longer than you thought, but just just be kind to yourself and, and remember why you set out on it in the first place, and what what. What was that sort of creative itch that you were hoping to scratch in the first place? Know that you know you, you'll get there, and you might have set yourself a 12-month target, and it's taken you two years. But that's okay. It's okay. Just keep going with it, and you know, be kind to yourself and enjoy the process of writing. So true. Thank you so much for your time today, Mick. That's been such an interesting conversation. If you would like to learn more about Mick and his books, go to mickelliot.me, which is going to be lovely. And um, we will very much look forward to seeing Squidge Dibley take over the world. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on your wonderful book with Valerie as well. It's such oh. a great resource for all of us to have. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pro- take little care. promo there. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. There we go, Mick Elliott. Great interview. Yeah. Oh, lots of fun too. Mick's a great guy. I mean, we sort mm. of like run into each other around the traps on a regular basis and, um, you know, he's just really uh, keen to do good work and it's, and I think he's you know succeeding in that so well done Mick well done Mick yeah. so Al what will you be doing until we speak again well you'll be on planes, oh, trains and automobiles yeah I think next time you talk to me I'll be probably lying on the couch talking to you from that position yeah, because that's pretty much where I'm going to be at mm. um, but that's okay it's all good I'm, I'm looking forward to it Yes. Well, I've been doing a bit too much lying on the couch because I have been watching. I find find that hard to believe. (laughs) No, it's true. I've been obsessed with um, The Boys on, it's the name of the TV show, on Amazon Prime. Uh, It's very clever. It is. It's not necessarily for everyone because it's a little bit rude. It's a little bit irreverent. And it's basically Mm. the premise is it's about superheroes, a world where superheroes are treated like, you know, politicians and celebrities and how they can become corrupted. And um, secretly I I like it because Anthony Starr is in it. He's in Australia. Well, he's actually New Zealand, but let's claim him. Actor who... (laughs) I think it's very easy on the eye. Um, talented. Talented. He's very talented. He's, very talented. he's very talented. He's very talented. And yep. that's one of the reasons I am watching it. And, um, yeah, so I, that I have been on the couch a bit. I beat you there. All right. Where do we find you online? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you when you're not on the couch or possibly <laughs> when you are on the couch? I need to do more exercise. Okay, I am at, at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwannabeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.